This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Social movements produce a huge amount of intellectual knowledge, yet in many academic circles, this knowledge is overlooked. My guest today, Aziz Chowdhury, has spent most of his life working with social movements around the world. He is currently an associate professor in the Department of Integrated Studies in Education at McGill University and a visiting professor at the Center for Education Rights and Transformation at the University of Johannesburg. His newest book, Learning Activism, The Intellectual Life of Contemporary Social Movements, was published in 2015 by the University of Toronto Press. All book proceeds will be donated to the Immigrant Workers' Center in Montreal. Learning Activism is designed to encourage a deeper engagement with the intellectual life of activists who organize for social, political, and ecological justice. Professor Chowdhury is concerned with making visible the dialectical relationship between research and organizing. I spoke with him in mid-January about his new book. Aziz Chowdhury, welcome to Fresh Ed. Uh, Thanks for having me, Will. In your newest book called Learning Activism, you write in the preface about your interview at McGill University, and you talk about bringing a briefcase of all this material that you've produced over the years um, during your time in various social movements. What is your background in activism and social movements? Uh, sure. Well, I mean, I'm currently, I currently work as an associate professor in the Department of Integrated Studies in Education at McGill University. And uh, I, uh, however, kind of started out... Um, uh, in the academic world, so to speak, apart from one year when I did a, one year of an undergraduate degree a long time ago, which I didn't complete, um, relatively recently, uh, and after um, many years of being uh, involved as an organizer, as an activist, as a uh, somebody who is a researcher as well within um, a range of different organisations in Aotearoa, New Zealand particularly, uh, and in the broader Asia-Pacific. Um, I was very involved with what was to later become known as the anti-globalisation movement or the global justice movement, but also very active in um, support for Indigenous peoples' sovereignty struggles, uh, struggles throughout the Pacific, for example, of uh, in East Timor, Bougainville, West Papua, uh, and um, struggles around the kinds of uh, issues that people, I think, in, in many countries around the world, North and South, um, have been fighting in the wake of uh, whatever we want to call it, global capitalism or neoliberalism, uh, privatisation, uh, the impacts of uh, neoliberal capitalist policies in a small country like Aotearoa, New Zealand, which after 1984 in particular was kind of turned into a bit of a petri dish for um, testing out, applying directly some really um, wild forms of, uh, of free market capitalism on a country at the time of about 3.4 million people. So in the course of all of that, I was uh, involved with uh, a lot of different kinds of uh, small-scale local uh, activism, if you like, around um, the impacts on the ground, uh, working with uh, often supporting trade unions uh, who were struggling around the impacts of uh, what happened when you uh, kind of opened up 
uh, a small country to uh, transnational corporations with the impacts on both public sector and private sector workers, uh, the uh, loss of jobs, the grinding down of working conditions, etc., etc. Um, so out of that, and in that, in the course of that, I mean, I was involved with uh, international and local coalitions of non-governmental organisations, NGOs, social movements, um, and a lot of the kinds of concerns and questions and ideas that, um, you know, came out of uh, that period of activism prior to actually going into graduate school or going to, um, you know, becoming a university academic, um, very much propel um, the kind of questions and the kind of work that, I continue to do in, in the academic world. So when I turned up there for a job interview, yes, uh, I brought, actually it was, wasn't a briefcase, it was kind of quite a large wheelie uh, suitcase of uh, all kinds of publications, bulletins and things like that, which, you know, many of which I was talking with somebody recently about, you know, the, pre, the pre-Google the era and the pre-internet era, and, you know, a, a considerable number of those things were produced um, prior to when all kinds of things ended up online. And I think, again, you know, lots of questions come out um, in the course of thinking about um, the academic world and thinking about the intellectual work that takes place in um, the everyday organising or the campaigns or the sort of the incremental learning that takes place uh, in, uh, in in organising and activism for social change or environmental justice, um, that a lot of that stuff's actually invisible. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, always the stuff that will end up being used by or referred to in books on uh, social movements or in books about um, organising or in films, etc., etc. And so those kind of questions about uh, you know, whose knowledge um, gets recorded and under what circumstances and also thinking about how activists and organisers um, relate to and draw upon history of earlier um, different, uh, earlier experiences of struggle um, remains very central to the kind of work that I'm continuing to do now. Did you find it difficult to make the transition from the vast experiences you've had in, in social movements to the academy? Well, I mean, I don't. I mean, in terms of sort of a transition, I, I mean, I don't think I ever kind of, uh, you know, for me, doing a PhD was a way of, uh, you know, pulling back from rather than retreating from the political uh, commitments that I have, and so I've never sort of put aside those political commitments or those uh, those engagements and sort of quote-unquote become an academic. I mean, that's very much uh, remained part of, uh, of, of who I am and what I do. I think, you know, the academic world and the and universities and, and sort of, you know, scholarship, scholarly communities, um, on the one hand, you know, there are these kinds of rules and uh, protocols and so on that, well, you know, some might say as being very specific or perhaps somewhat peculiar uh, to um, uh, to people from the outside. Um, I think, on the other hand, you know, there have always been people, there are always been, uh, I think, uh, perhaps not enough in my view, but um, people who work in universities who've um, been committed to um, whatever it is, seeing their work, whether it's about their research work or whether it's 
other things that they do in their life, a strong commitment to uh, social justice and social change. However, on the other hand, I think, you know, universities tend to be inherently conservative kinds of institutions. And for all kinds of reasons, I think that, um, you know, with the sort of managerialism that we see coming into universities now with the sort of uh, very competitive uh, ethos that that is the dominant form of certainly in North America um, and what I've seen in other places too a very commodified kind of of uh, approach to education and um, and scholarship that yeah I mean there's some real uh, you know forces that that one might be up against if you're saying well you know, I think that universities should be socially relevant, that universities should be socially relevant to all peoples in society, that they should be accessible, uh, that the knowledge that is produced in them, uh, you know, should also be accessible. And, I mean, that's a huge issue in an era of, of you know, uh, journals, academic journals that are run uh, as, as sort of pay-per-view businesses unless you've got a subscription to uh, your... Um, you know, the three-year institution, uh, which I think is one of the reasons why, you know, doing these kinds of things like you're doing, Will, is, is really neat because there's a, a sort of a way of actually being able to open up access to people, to whoever uh, wants to, to tune in. But, um, you know, there is at the same time, I think, uh, an, uh, pockets of pockets of resistance or people within universities, that's including students, that's including faculty, and it's also including non-academic staff too, who are very much the people who you know, keep these universities uh, running, uh, that um, are committed to, um, to something, a, a sort of a progressive vision um, of education. But that's a struggle, and I mean, that's remade and that's kind of um, waged every day in different kinds of ways. Well, thank you for including my show in, in, in that list. I mean, I guess there are definitely different values that um, different people in academics place on, on the different journals. You know, there's some journals that are better than others, and I guess open source journals are definitely um, facing an uphill battle in some, in some regards because um, they're not deemed as valuable. Um, and I would imagine my show is also included in, in that. It's maybe not as academic as a, as a journal. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on, 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 you know, I think some of that is changing in, in, in terms of open, open access journals. I mean, I think it's becoming quite, uh, certainly in the, you know, education, social sciences and humanities where, uh, if you want to see the the kind of the work that you've done, uh, you're doing, being in um, peer-reviewed journals, therefore journals that sort of quote unquote count uh, as being scholarly journals, then there are lots of those that are you know becoming. There, there's a fair number, I think, that are, that are becoming um, uh, open, open access. I mean, on the other hand. Uh, yes, you do have those sort of established um, uh, proprietorial, uh, you know, kind of very capitalistic um, journal um, journal houses, uh, journal companies um, that are run as corporations. I mean, they are corporations, and so uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're sort of competing against that, and then whatever within the different countries that 
uh, people work in, uh, the different rules and regulations too that come down sometimes from ministries of education or universities about which journals count. But I think some of that is, is you know, I think some of that sort of changing. And I guess the other thing for me is I don't think it's just about, you know, those of us in the university that are, you know, doing our annual reports and, and sort of uh, putting, uh, you know, counting how many how many beans uh, we, we kind of served up during the past year. I also think it's about um, whether or not um, those uh, those journals, whether or not some of that research is actually accessible to um, people outside of universities. I mean, I work in a public institution, so uh, it's a public university. So, I mean, there's an argument there, I think, that uh, there should be some accountability back to broader communities and societies about what it is we're all doing uh, in these, um, you know, I don't want to use... The cliche ivory towers. Well, I just did, but you know that that there needs to be uh, ways that some of that that uh, uh, research uh, can be accessible. Now, of course, vast amounts of that may be not particularly useful to uh, to to folks. But on the other hand, you know, it's a common kind of request uh, as somebody who's politically you know engaged in in in. Um, uh, in lots of things is is about you know being able to access some of that uh, that knowledge for specific uh, kinds of um, struggles and so on. At the same time, as I think that a lot of the intellectual work of um, social movements and struggles happens under the radar, so to speak, it happens outside of very often formal um, you know uh, research or uh, educational context. Um, and I think that's something that's interesting to consider too, is that just as universities exist in a set of capitalist relations and, and, and uh, in, in um, you know, in the same way, all of us that live in these societies are struggling with the same, you know, with capitalist relations, with, with contradictions um, that exist because of that. So that includes non-governmental organisations, that includes uh, trade unions, that includes, uh, you know, activist groups and so on. So all that to say is I don't think that there are any kind of pure spaces that are untouched by those social relations. What I do think, though, is that, you know, all knowledge is partial. Uh, and I think if we look at some of the, or if we're aware of some of the intellectual work that takes place in the course of um, everyday struggles uh, and the sort of work that's happening, whether it's being well documented or, or not, we can see that there's a real, uh, I think, richness, a real kind of set of uh, conceptual resources for thinking through and thinking about um, the world that we're in and the kind of the challenges and the, the necessities, I think, also for change that come out of informal, non-formal kind of spaces um, that could be organising meetings, um, you know, at the Immigrant Workers Centre here in Montreal, which I'm uh, on the board of. It could be uh, the kinds of conversations that people have um, over um, designing a poster that they're going to put up, uh, paste up around town. Uh, it could be the kind of conversations that people have um, in the course of just, you know, outreach work, flyering uh, people about uh, whether it's worker rights, 
uh, it could be being on a demonstration. All of those places, all of those spaces are where um, people think people come together and people, I think, in a collective sense can sometimes, uh, you know, stand back, reflect upon what it is that they're doing. Uh, and out of that, out of that kind of incremental, informal um, kind of process, those kind of processes, I think can come some really quite rich insights into, um, you know, how the world's put together and um, what... It might take to uh, to challenge some of that. And these, the goals of producing research um, in in the various uh, social movements that you're speaking of, it they're they're in a sense they're different than the goals of producing research out of the academic community. Well, I mean, yeah, yes and no. I mean, first of all, I think it's quite hard to sort of generalize about either of the the, the kind of uh, you know university-based research um, or, you know that's located somehow in a university or supported through academic funds and uh, research that takes place in social movements I mean they're both uh, the kinds of research that takes place I think in social movements and I talk about this in 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 the book um, you know it's quite Diverse. There's not a particular model. Uh, it's very much about you know context. I mean, sometimes it is about hey, look, we've got this transnational corporation that is taking over um, the provision of X service in our city or in our area. Uh, we're concerned about this because uh, of you know lack of accountability and its sort of track record elsewhere, and um, that we think that this should be in public hands and so on and so forth. And so people start sort of digging around, and, and I think a lot of the kind of informal networks that I've been part of. Uh, have been as important as, you know, sort of more formal organisational uh, affiliations uh, when it comes about doing that after you've, you know, you you, you ask around, you start from, from a, a, you know, a problem that either you're facing or your community's facing or people that you're working, you've been asked to do this work. And I mean, that has often been the case. In some cases, social movements in different parts of the world have said, hey, you know, we really need you, you and you to uh, do some research. We're going to figure out some ways to free up your time uh, and make sure that you've got, you can eat, you know, uh, in order to do that kind of work. I think at the current, you know, at currently, uh, you know that um, that sort of work takes place uh, in some places. I think you know, in certain ways, I, I think you know you see that kind of process happening uh, in a number of countries. Where I mean, the Philippines, for example, uh, in some of the movements that I've been uh, talking about in in, in the book, uh, where you do have organizations that are sort of dedicated to research or a couple of people in an organization who are kind of dedicated to doing research but on the other hand you also have people say yeah I mean you know I'm kind of doing a bunch of different things I'm, I'm an organizer I'm a media person I'm a researcher um, the way things work within the movement is you can't be just any one of those those uh, you know one one role like that and and I think that um, what obviously what you don't have in in a lot of social movement settings is the same kinds of uh, rules, I suppose, about how you you know 
peer review and and and, and uh, uh, the certain kinds of um, protocols that academics are supposed to to follow. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, I'd argue that a lot of research that takes place in, in social movements uh, is highly rigorous and, in fact, the costs of getting things wrong are often much higher than a cost to an individual academic researcher uh, in a university if they, quote-unquote, get it wrong or make a mistake because of the real consequences of, A, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, activists who do research in the UK were reminding me about British libel laws, uh, you know, of, of companies threatening, and this has happened a number of times, many times, companies threatening activists over leaflets or articles or statements that be made about them uh, of uh, the kinds of risks and threats that exist to uh, activist researchers in places like the Philippines, which are literally about being killed by you know paramilitaries, um, by the safety of researchers in the field uh, in the context of a highly militarised um, if you like, a kind of a war, a, a, a silent war on on dissent on the left in, in, in the Philippines. Um, and then there's a lot of internal checking very often that happens. You know, people will be th- bouncing drafts back and forth to people if it's a written uh, 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 document, um, you know, checking out with networks and saying, is this right? Does this seem relevant? Uh, you know, is this is this sort of, uh, does this work? And so a lot of those kind of processes happen. Now, that's not to say that all research that is produced in, uh, you know, in, in activist uh, context is rigorous and is kind of, you know, top-notch and fantastic quality. But, I mean, we can't say that about, I think, any kind of research or any academic, uh, you know, academic research too. Even even those that go through the, the peer-review blinded process. No, that's right. I mean, I think it's, it's uh, you know, it's also a question, I, I think the relevance of research is a big one, right? And how that, uh, how doing research gets... Um, Defined. I mean, I have this kind of. I suppose I have a, uh, a history where the research uh, that I do, uh, perhaps unfortunate or unfortunate or whatever, to have a, a sort of a, uh, a way of working with the research that I do very much comes out of. Uh, and relates to these kind of conversations that happen uh, in the context of, of uh, different organisations that I'm I'm uh, part of, or um, in the con- you know longer term conversations um, that have been going often long, much longer than I've been in ac- academy about particular questions and particular issues. So. Why is it? I mean, one of the things that I'm working on at the moment is a, uh, a sort of a, a, if you like, a more of an archival project, uh, very much uh, looking at this question of um, how political activists um, document and or not necessarily that they intentionally document stuff, but how uh, political activists relate to um, earlier histories of of of, uh, of struggle and what can be learned from those those sort of 
bulletins and flyers and all kinds of things that often are sitting around in people's plastic bags or I know, I mean, I've got an embarrassing number of, of stuff going back into the 80s of, of flyers, leaflets, posters, all kinds of things, which, you know, you can, you can if you're a bit of a hoarder like I am, you kind of put in there and don't really think about it. Then one day you think, you know what? damn, that stuff, we, we did that stuff in 92 or whenever it was or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's some really interesting things to reconsider there. And I don't think it's in a sense that it's some kind of vanity project. I think it's actually about what happens where at different conjunctures we um, go back to and try and engage with, um, you know, the earlier histories. I see that happening in places like uh, South Africa uh, too where, um, people are going back into books and uh, booklets and, uh, you know, debates that were happening uh, during the apartheid era, often in, uh, you know, movements that weren't necessarily uh, the dominant ones that, the, the, you know, the ANC and so on that's become the sort of the, the um, leading uh, party there and so on. And looking at those kinds of questions and debates, whether it's about, you know, precariousness and work and, and, and sort of uh, labour brokers and precarious work um, or whether it's, you know, about thinking through what it might mean to uh, be in a, a sort of a, a non-racial uh, society, a non-racial u- union, etc. So, I mean, there is this, that kind of um, work, I think, that and it always leads me to kind of think, okay, so we're getting at this, we've got this, but what else is out there? And for me, often it's been my own experience, often myself, of having been on, you know, what could be considered the margins of some movements, uh, you know, thinking that sometimes some of the most interesting stuff and drawing on, you know, Robin Kelly, who I think is a really fantastic, uh, you know, historian in the United States uh, from his book, uh, Freedom Dreams, the, the Black Radical Imagination, also thinking about, uh, you know, that the often I think social movements, are, 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 when we look at um, the way that they're written about in uh, academia is often about, oh, did they, were they successful or did they fail? And Kelly's argument, and I, I agree with him, is that, you know, I think some the social movements are, you know, often the incubators of new knowledge. We wouldn't have a whole lot of university disciplines in the way that we have had them. Uh, I mean, thinking about feminist studies, thinking about, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the sort of the work, even a lot of the work that happens in sociology, if there hadn't been big social movements at some time, if there hadn't been major social movements happening both outside and inside the university sometimes, um, that had driven and I think created a lot of, that kind of collective knowledge. And I think one of the tensions uh, between the academy and in in sort of uh, broader social movements, whether we talk about research or more broadly the different, different kinds of intellectual work that takes place, is that there's so much of this idea within, uh, you know, dominant sort of uh, university settings of, you know, a single authored novel contribution to... Uh, you know, to, to, to thought or to scholarship. And yet so much of the ideas, most of my ideas, uh, are, I don't consider to be kind of my, you know, brilliant insight into something. They've come from years and years and years of conversations and collective work and, 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 and uh, you know, draw upon so many different kinds of 
of uh, of conversations and experiences. And so, David Austin, uh, who's a, a historian in Canada, uh, you know, talks about theory, and I think others have talked about it in this way too. Theory as being sort of congealed experience. And I think very much that, you know, we are all a lot richer if we actually put together um, some of the different kinds of ideas and knowledge um, that get produced in different places. And, yeah, critically interrogate it and challenge it, and as, as one must, I think, with all forms of knowledge. But to recognise, I think, the intellectual debt that um, so much of, uh, you know, education, sociology, uh, history, political science, and on and on and on, um, owe to um, those kinds of, um, you know, broader social struggles. And it seems as if what you're saying is that research and organizing can't really be separated. To, to organize requires that you, you go through the research process, you create knowledge collectively, and to organize, you must also participate in that knowledge production. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that a lot of that stuff happens incidentally and informally. And I think one of the things, you know, that, that's really kind of part of the book and, draw again, draws on, you know, the work of, of many other people uh, is to think about knowledge production and learning uh, and sometimes research as not always being intentional um, activities. I mean, sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. And, and I think... There's a kind of dialectic, if you like, between um, more formal or more sort of named uh, activities like research and the informal stuff that happens. Uh, you know, workers, for example, in um, different kinds of workplaces are very good can be very good researchers now. We wouldn't like to think of them as researchers in the sort of the dominant way of how um, uh, academia often frames people, but a lot of workers are very, very good researchers about the conditions and about often, you know, which company is is uh, being serviced out of this centre, which company uh, is doing this, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, and sometimes putting that knowledge together with organisers and with, uh, you know, maybe with somebody who's dedicated, who's, who's got some time carved out to work as a quote-unquote researcher can be really valuable. But the point being there that without that kind of on-the-ground, uh, you know, lived experience of what's going down in a particular work site, uh, it, it, it's, it's quite difficult to really get at um, and also produce research that is relevant to what's really going on, uh, what, what's happening there. And, and there's a, uh, I think, um, you know, in different kinds of movements uh, and different places that I've been, you know, seeing quite a spectrum, I think, of, you know, what it means to be an organiser or a researcher uh, and um what it means to be an educator, and sometimes all of that is very much fused and sort of tied up, um, up together. Um, and you know, people talk about that in the interviews that I've, I did. I did about I don't know interviews with 
70, 80 uh, people who in some way, uh, you know, were activist researchers in, you know, South Africa, Argentina, Philippines, um, various other places in, in uh, North America and in Europe. Uh, and, um, you know, this came up again and again and again was, was often that, that kind of... Uh, uh, and people had different processes. I mean, it doesn't mean that everybody is sitting around, you know, sort of having a, a, a kind of almost stereotyped kind of collective, um, you know, uh, defining of research all the time. But sometimes it is like that. I mean, Dale McKinley from the Anti-Privatisation Forum that is now defunct in South Africa that was going for uh, a number of years, you know, he talks about how, you know, the people who did the quote-unquote research in the course of doing work around privatisation of water and electricity and uh, all those kind of things um, would come back to broader assemblies and they would be, you know, everything would be sort of thrashed out, their findings, what they were doing would be sort of subject to a great deal of scrutiny that would probably make, you know, a lot of uh, academic colleagues feel very uncomfortable. On the other hand, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a different process. Sometimes it is like a person who who is asked, who's tasked with doing a particular report, but the collectiveness of doing that work is that that stuff gets talked about and checked out and bounced back and forth between uh, between people, uh, and not always the most obvious. Uh, kinds of people too to try to produce something that is going to be robust, that's going to be relevant uh, and that is going to be useful for uh, a particular campaign. I think too, you know, this other notion about sort of neutrality and, um, uh, you know, objectivity that often has been very, uh, you know, sort of exalted within um, universities. Well, you know, I, I've never really bought into this idea that there is a, a neutral position pretty much for for anything. And, I mean, the history of science and the, the relationship between, you know, science and colonialism and imperialism and, and the politics of the day, uh, including, you know, Darwin's experiences, for example, of when he, if you like, went public with some of his uh, his research because of, you know, political, religious, moral, if you like, sort of sensibilities at the time, um, it, it would be, um, I, th I think it's a, re a, a, you know, really problematic, it's a great academic word, isn't it, problematic, uh, it's really problematic to, to conceive of research as being somehow uh, immune from and in a vacuum, uh, you know, that is not impacted by political, economic, social uh, and other um, factors. And so I think one of the things with the sort of research that I've been part of both inside and outside of the university is that we, you know, one is upfront about this. It's like, yes, this is research for something. It is research for uh, a particular um, political or, uh, you know, particular sort of uh, movement or for, for something. But in doing so, One's being upfront about that. One's saying, you know, this is what it is. Now, I would actually sort of like to see more of that uh, because uh, this sort of aloofness and this this uh, claim to being very objective and neutral is itself 
uh, a political stance and yeah, hiding the, hiding your own agenda. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think you know we this this is uh, you know this is one of the tensions again over knowledge politics that occurs that occurs everywhere, um, and you know, and again, you know, why it is certain people will will um, you know dismiss. Uh, ideas that come out of movements as just being political without actually engaging with, um, I think, the intellectual, the deeper intellectual and sort of, uh, if you like, philosophical work that takes place within movements. And, and, and again, I'm not romanticising movements or activism here. I mean, I could and talk about this again in, in the book is, you know, yes, uh, there are some real uh, tensions around being able to build movements and be able to sort of reflect on and collectively reflect on what's going on on the politics of different struggles, of tensions within movements, of whether or not they're kind of relevant, et cetera, et cetera. And often in the in that course of doing, in the sort of, you know, acting all the time, uh, it can often be very difficult for people to pull back and say, hey, hang on a minute, let's look at that. Are we on track? For sure. But, again, I would say that I think that tension in a different kind of way also exists across the... And I don't think it is a, a sort of a, a, you know, a university kind of community divide, um, but, I mean, all that to say is I do think that exists in, uh, if you like, across the sort of spectrum of where people do uh, research and education. Education is always an inherently political uh, issue too, uh, and again, I think, you know, we need to make visible uh, as much as we can the forces, the sort of, if you want to draw on the work of Dorothy Smith uh, in institutional ethnography, I think about the sort of extra local forces that socially organise um, our kind of everyday uh, worlds as educators, um, as students, uh, and as people who are somehow engaged in uh, in education so i think that again i think that's something that that uh, you know i would like to see more and more of that kind of work and, and i think that work needs to be historically engaged uh and, and i think it needs to be uh you know politically uh engaged and it needs to just be uh upfront about that i must ask do you consider yourself more an activist or an academic um, well, I don't, I actually, to be honest, I don't really. I don't, it's not a question I really think about. I was asked a number of times when I was doing my PhD defence um, uh, back in uh, whenever it was two thousand and eight. You know, oh, so are you an activist or are you an academic? Are you, and I, I don't really think about. It. I mean, I have a job that uh, is, uh, you know, it's. Uh, I, I, I take working in a public university quite seriously. I think that. Um, for all of the critiques that I and others have of the corporatisation of the university, commodification of education, uh, the role of universities in societies, whether it's Canada or South Africa or wherever, uh, in perpetuating often, uh, you know, uh, capitalist sort of, uh, you know, uh, ideas uh, and so on and so forth, that um, for all kinds of reasons, people come through universities. And I think that if we're serious about, uh, you know, uh, the sort of thinking about the fact that there is a, there are spaces, I suppose, within universities as there are everywhere, 
um, to think through and con- contest and challenge and try to, you know, develop um, ideas that might actually be, be useful. Not all of the work that I do as an activist has really got anything to do with what I do in the university. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I, um, am, you know, I certainly am committed to thinking about ways in which um, working in a university um, can be uh, can be politically engaged, and I think a lot of that work, you know, some of that work, not all of it, happens on campus. I mean, it's about you know, supporting uh, labour uh, struggles on campus, not just academics, but also thinking about the people who do the the, the cleaning, people who do the administrative work, uh, you know, students who work as uh, you know often as hyper exploited either sessionals or uh, or, or teaching assistants. I um, mean, you know, I think all of those things are really uh, really important. Are they? You know, are they things that involve kind of research and intellectual work? I mean, sometimes explicitly, sometimes uh, sometimes less so. Sometimes, and again, I don't want to say that a picket line is not is not a, a space of intellectual, uh, a possible kind of uh, uh, intellectual work, because I think very often it is. And in fact, uh, you know, I've had some great... Uh, conversations and insights and discussions on picket lines and demonstrations, but sometimes it's about, you know, sometimes, you know, we are understanding that solidarity is a tactic um, to make some gains. And so it is, I think, important about standing with people within the university communities who are uh, in, in, um, in, in different kinds of struggles. On the other hand, you know, there's, there's, uh, we are all people who have many different parts of our, our lives, and I came to the university very much committed to those movements that I, I came out of, and I still continue to, um, in different ways, be be active in it. Um, it it's, uh, I think, different people do figure that out in different ways. In in among those of us who are. Uh, you know, I think uh, committed to sort of progressive um, social change. But I don't think that just writing books or writing peer-reviewed journal articles or my teaching alone uh, would uh, would really cut it in terms of um, thinking about what it takes to um, to sort of bring those two aspects of my my life, you know, what I do for a living at the moment, which is pretty much how I see it, um, rather than a kind of, a, you know, a, a vacation or something like that, and then all the other stuff that I, I do in, in, in life. And and quite unapologetically, you know, I don't think that, uh, and again, not to be naive, but I think that there's an enormous amount of self-censorship that can happen within universities. And I know that, you know, and I have colleagues you know, myself in different ways have experienced pressures, um, you know, sometimes out in the open, sometimes not, about the particular political stances um, that we take or the way that people perceive us even without doing, uh, you know, a particular thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, what are you going to do? Uh, I mean, the, the, I, uh, I, I don't see that uh, uh, it was an option just to sort of uh, pull back from stuff and say, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to write, you know, some peer-reviewed articles in journals that nobody can access in arcane sort of abstract kind of formulations about, you know, nice stuff like social change and so on. Um, and, and I think, you know, that that's, um, 
that we, you know, we, again, a lot of this stuff is contextual, right? So people figure this sort of stuff out. Uh, in the context that we're in and often based on our own experiences and histories of um, figuring out how to be how to be useful relevant and accountable to um, to those those struggles well Aziz Chowdhury thank you very much for joining Fresh Ed you're welcome Will it's fun talking with you Aziz Chowdhury is an associate professor in the Department of Integrated Studies in Education at McGill University His newest book, Learning Activism, was published in 2015 by the University of Toronto Press. Next week, Rolf Straubhauer speaks with Suanthi Motha about her new book, Race, Empire, and English Language Teaching, Creating Responsible and Ethical Anti-Racist Practice, which won the 2015 Globalization and Education SIG Book Award. Fresh Ed is brought to you by the Globalization and Education Special Interest Group, the Comparative and International Education Society. You can subscribe to Fresh Ed on iTunes and follow the show on Twitter using the handle at Fresh Ed Podcast. The opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not CIES or the Globalization and Education SIG, which take no institutional positions. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and see you next week.